We are in a series of messages called The Emptiness Experiment, and we are talking today, this is part five, going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we are talking about this guy, Solomon, who writes this book, Ecclesiastes, at the end of his life. This is a man who was the richest, wisest, most popular, most beloved figure in the world at the time. He writes three books in our Bible, Song of Solomon in his youth when he's romantic and filled with hopes of romantic love and marriage. Then he writes Proverbs, and he writes that basically to his son, all about wisdom and avoiding the wrong things in life. And then at the end of his life, he looks back on it, and he gives us this recollection of sorts of what life looks like after it's all said and done. And it's a guy who had not just been able to chase after uh, money and fame and fortune, to chase after accomplishment and pleasure. He also got it. He got it all. And so last week I talked about the fact that you can split Ecclesiastes into two sections. Section one, Ecclesiastes one to six, which is what I call the been there, done that section. In other words, I went after money, I went after pleasure, I went after things, I went after status, and I got them. And then Ecclesiastes 7 and 12, the last six chapters, are the now what section. So what do you do after you've been there and done that? And we talked about this last week, that he basically walks us through what wisdom looks like after it's all said and done. And so we do ourselves a favor if we lean in and listen to this guy who knows what he's talking about from experience, chasing the things that we will, if we're not careful, spend our lives chasing. And so we're in the now what section. This is the now what section. Somebody say, now what? what? And we're in part five of this message series. Uh, The title of the message is Finding Joy in the Midst of Unpleasant Realities. Un is capitalized. U-N. That doesn't stand for United Nations. Okay, because that is an unpleasant reality in itself. No, just kidding. Uh, Un is capitalized because every point that I make today will have un in it. So I'm a big fan of alliteration and uh, using words and all that kind of stuff to make the point a little bit more memorable. And today, all the points are going to have un in it. So Ecclesiastes 8, would you stand with me? Because I, I want us to remember that what Solomon talks about in this last six chapters of Ecclesiastes is all the, pleasant, all the realities of wisdom. And I want to put this verse up on the screen, Ecclesiastes 8.1. And to, to stand and read the word today, I want us to read this one verse together out loud. So it's up on the screen. No need to have your Bible open. It's up on the screen so we can read it all together. Ecclesiastes 8.1 on the count of three. One, two, three. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that these next few moments are governed by the Holy Spirit. We ask that your word is alive to your people. And in this moment, I just pause in prayer that we will remember we are your children, created by you formed and fashioned on purpose to experience your goodness. There are people here today that need to be reminded of some unchangeable truths. 
about how you feel about them and what you have done for them in Jesus Christ, your Son. I pray that we will hear your voice and our hearts will receive your word. And I pray that we will see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Wisdom, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 8.1, is going to make your face shine. It's going to make you happy. It's going to turn your spirit around. It's going to resurrect your spirit. Because if you're living in the world that I'm living in, you're going to have every day innumerable, innumerable opportunities to get depressed. Opportunities to feel terrible about the reality of the world. It's terrible about yourself, terrible about your station in life. Life is going to do this to you. And Ecclesiastes 8 and 9 are two chapters where Solomon basically walks us through the unpleasant realities of life. And the funny thing is, is that he talked about these things 2,800 years ago, and they're still as true as he wrote them here now today in 2019. But he says, listen, if you get, if you get a hold of wisdom, if you get a hold of what God reveals, if you seek your life into what he wants, it's going to make you, it's going to make you healthy and happy. It's going to make you healthy and happy. Write that down in your notes. Wisdom makes you healthy and happy. It turns your spirit around. Some of us don't realize how our spirits affect our physical bodies. That we got to speak to our spirits the truth of God's word and get into our hearts the realities of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus so that our spirits are alive with the truth of the resurrection. The truth of who God is. When we speak to our spirits with God's word, it brings life. It brings joy. And then it radiates out into the physical reality of our existence. Wisdom makes you happy and healthy. So last week I talked about three benefits of wisdom. And I I know you remember. How many remember the three benefits of wisdom? Put your hand up. Exactly. That's why I'm going to do it again. Three benefits because you got to understand where he's coming from. Three benefits. Number one, wisdom separates God's best from what seems good. Wisdom separates God's best from what seems good. There is a way that seems right to a man, the Bible says, but the end thereof is death. In other words, you're going to choose some things in your life that look right, that seem right, but they don't end right. Wisdom says, wait, pause. Maybe what looks right isn't right. We could have people come up here onto the stage and talk about testimony after testimony, story after story of the things that you thought were right, the relationship that you chased after that wasn't right, the person that you thought, if only they would love me, my life would be complete. And at the end, you look at them now and you say, no, actually, it was the best thing that could have ever happened that they didn't choose me, that they didn't love me. Anybody ever go through this? You go through this as a, an adult when you're out of high school after a number of years and there's that one person that you pined over in high school. You prayed for, you asked God, let them see me, let them notice me. And then 20 years after high school, you looked them up on Facebook and you saw what they looked like and you said, thank you, Jesus, for sparing me. <laughs> I know that from experience. Sometimes the job we think looks good is not actually good for us. Sometimes the education that we go after doesn't actually add anything to us. In other words, wisdom comes along and says, maybe what you think is right is actually wrong. And God wants to spare you, and God wants to save you, and God wants to keep you from making a horrible mistake because our judgment is limited. Our understanding is finite, and God knows the end from the beginning. 
Number two, wisdom prepares us to choose the hard road instead of the easy escape. Talked about this last week. Here's what wisdom does. Wisdom reminds you that if you do what's hard now, it gets easier later. This is a fact of life. It doesn't matter what, pick an endeavor of life, and I'm telling you, choose the hard now so that it's easier later. Uh, dieting and, and feeding your body properly is hard now, but later on. Some of us eat whatever we want. We just, we just chow down on things that are bad for us, and 10 years from right now, you're getting away from it because you're getting away with it because you're 16. But wait until you're 36. Wait until you're 46. I'm not even there yet, and I'm already anticipating that's going to be a problem. You know, I was just uh, playing tennis with a guy yesterday. He was 45, and I was talking to him about the reality. He's like, you know, it's just, uh, it's just so terrible. I used to eat whatever I want, and now everything that I eat just stays inside of my body for like three weeks. I mean, that's how it goes, right? So what you do now, if it's hard now, it will be easier later. Eat right now, better life later. Uh, same thing with education. Hard now, easier later. Here's how the devil works. Here's how his system works. All the pleasure is front-loaded. Front-end loaded pleasure. In other words, get it now. Relationships. Have sex now. Have sex now. You deserve it. Your body is made to have sex. So just go have sex with as many people as possible. But on the back end, it's all pain. It's emotional pain. It's physical pain. It's possible diseases. It's heartbreak. It's, ho- it's hopelessness. It's, it's you've given your life to all these other lovers, and now you don't have any love left for the person that God brings into your life. Watch out for it. This is how the devil has been tricking and duping human beings from the Garden of Eden. Have it now and pay for it later. Credit card companies feast on that campaign. Get it now. Pay for it later. In other words, end up paying more money for what costs less years later, and now it's not just more costly to you because you're paying interest on it, but it's also worthless because it's old. Pleasure now, pain later. And wisdom says, no, wait a second. Choose the hard now because it'll get easier later. And then wisdom grounds us in reality instead of fantasy. And I love this point the most because this point is where we're going to dwell today. Wisdom grounds us in reality instead of fantasy. If there's one danger that I see in the Christian church, it is pie-in-the-skyism. In other words, we're so heavenly-minded, we're of no earthly good. We think that things are all about prayer and, you know, imaginations and spiritual things. And sometimes, you know something, God just wants us to live in reality. You know, the world that he created is actually good, not evil. God created the heavens and the earth, and he finished them, and then he looked and he said, it's good. The Bible says even after the fall, God is working to restore his creation, making all things new. And so Christians are not escapism people. We are not just trying to get out of here. We should care about our world. We should care about people. We should care about the things around us. This is biblical wisdom that grounds us in reality. And not fantasy. And sometimes when we get so tied up into fantasy and spirituality, get over spiritual, we get super spiritual. You know these people. Because if you don't know these people, you are these people. But you get so super spiritual. Everything's a demon. Everything's spiritual. Everything's wrong because of some demon thing. You get a flat tire on the way to work and it's a demon. No, it was a nail, you dummy. You need to live in reality. You need to have your feet on the ground. You need to understand that there are things that you can do physically that would just work physically, and not everything is a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual reality, but not everything has to do with that. 
So it grounds us in reality, and here's what I love about the rest of Ecclesiastes. It's going to deal with the hard realities, the realities that we all have to face. Christians, let it never be said about us, Water Church people, let it never be said about us, that we don't wrestle with the true realities of the world. And today we're going to talk about that. Here's the thing about reality. See, we make plans, and then reality happens. You can write that down for later reference. <laughs> we make plans, and then reality happens. What's your plan? You're going to be retired at the age of 55. Well, then what happens when they, when they export your job when you're 45? I'm going to be married by the time I'm 30, but what if you don't meet somebody before then? I'm going to have a lot of fun, and then at the last moment, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. What if one of those fun nights ends your life? We make plans, and then reality happens. And three realities that Solomon wrestles with, we're all going to wrestle with in Ecclesiastes 8 and 9. Three realities. They all begin with un. Ready? Number one, life is unpredictable. This is what Solomon woke up to in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Life is unpredictable. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 8, he says, Indeed, how can people avoid what they don't know is going to happen? He says, No one can hold his back. None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us have the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. In other words, there are going to be things that happen, and especially death, that's going to happen when you least expect it. You can't predict the future. Life is unpredictable. You make plans, reality happens. Verse 17 of the same chapter, he says, I realize that no one can discover everything that God is doing under the sun. God is up to something that you're not fully aware of. And so life is not going to go according to your plans. Not even the wisest people, Solomon says, can discover everything, no matter what they claim. There are people that are going to promise you the world. I'm telling you something. Anybody who's promising you the good life in six easy steps or nine easy payments or whatever easy thing that they're promising you, I'm telling you they're selling something. You need to be aware of this. No one knows the future. You could buy a stock and it could bomb. You could buy a house and the housing market could collapse. You could get the job and you find out that you work in, a, in an organization that's filled with corruption. And you don't know what's going to happen. And so this is the harsh reality of our lives. Sometimes we're so busy trying to measure everything that happens in our lives by what we do. What we do made it happen. And, so, and this, is a, this is a fool's errand because sometimes life just happens. For, for instance, there's this, there's this, um, there's this mu musical that I love. It's called The Sound of Music. Yes, I publicly admitted that. <laughs> there's this moment where Julie Andrews' character sings to Christopher Plummer's character because he, this noble, you know, Austrian man, falls in love with the, with the, with the au pair. And she's the au pair. And, and, and basically, she starts singing about the fact that this guy loves her. And she starts singing these words. She says, somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something what? Good. Thank you, Sound of Music fans. Um, basically, you love me because I did something in my past. Let me tell you something. That's not Christianity. That's not Christian thought. That's, that's Hinduism. You understand? That's karma. Karma's not Christian. 
Like there's more American Christians that actually go by Hinduism than they do about Christianity. Sometimes you do what's right and you get what's bad. Sometimes. Sometimes you do what's bad and you get what's good. Life is unpredictable and that leads us to point number two. Life is unjust. This is a huge conversation for our country right now. Where is the justice? Social justice. There must be justice. Where is the justice? And let me tell you something. Solomon was acknowledging 2,800 years ago that bad guys get what good guys deserve and good guys get what bad guys deserve. And for 2,800 years, we still haven't figured it out. Life is unjust. He says in verse 10, chapter 8, I have seen wicked people buried with honor. I don't know if you watch the news as much as I do, but I watch the news, and al-Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, was put to death by our American forces. A wonderful victory for our country, a terrible blow to the um, ISIS terrorist group. And I was shocked, actually, by one of our American newspapers writing an obituary about his death. One of our American newspapers, the Washington Post, this is why people don't listen to the media anymore, they wrote his obituary, and they said the title of the obituary was Austere Religious Scholar Al-Baghdadi Dies at 48. Austere Religious Scholar? I'm an austere religious scholar. Okay, that guy is a terrorist scumbag. Right? I mean, like, are we aware of this? Like, don't fall for this nonsense that everybody's a victim and everybody's just misunderstood. The guy was a scumbag. Like, we need to understand. There's evil in the world. People don't want to deny. They want to deny evil because we think that if we just think right and have enough education, we can make everybody good. It's not possible. There's always going to be evil in the world. And he says, I've seen wicked people. They were buried and then they were praised. And look what he says. Yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. Now we know this too as Christians. There are some scumbags in the Christian movement. Leaders of the Christian movement that have hurt children and, and, and hurt people and caused irreparable harm in the minds and the hearts of the young. And Jesus was very firm about that. He said it's better if they have a millstone strung around their neck and they're cast into the bottom of the sea. And so this is what Solomon says, though. I saw, I saw priests getting away with pedophilia, a Baptist youth pastor taking advantage of young teenage girls. I saw it, and then I saw people praise them. And he said, listen, this is what happens. When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it's safe to do wrong. And this is our world as well. I, I'm amazed. I'm gonna get a, you're going to think this is a political statement. It's not political. It's biblical. But I'm amazed at how anxious our current culture is to abolish the death penalty for murderers, but then murder the unborn who have never committed a crime. Say, Pastor, you're getting political. I'm not getting political. I'm getting ethical and biblical. And the more we turn that issue into a political debate, the more we miss the forest for the trees. That's a human in that womb. That's a precious child of God in that womb. That's an unborn person who we need to respect and honor. And watch out to what happens in a culture when that becomes the standard of the day, letting murderers live on until their natural death and putting to death people who have never done anything wrong. What does that do? It... it, it, it corrupts our society and our hearts. It makes us miss what's real and what's true. And this is what Solomon is wrestling with. Life is unjust. In verse 8, 14, he says this, and this is not all that's meaningless in our world. 
In this life, good people get or sorry, are often treated as though they were wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. Life is unjust. Great men have perished after doing good things. Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr. lost their lives shortly after fighting for justice. Meanwhile, dictators and fascists have lived till their natural death. Spend enough time on the news, you'll get to this point where Solomon is at the end of verse 14. This is so meaningless. Not just meaningless, so meaningless. <laughs> and then, number three, life is unfair. Life is unfair. <clears throat> now, you have to live about three days to understand life is unfair. And my kids, you know, uh, when you have kids, they're always talking about, that's not fair. That's like their, their greatest line. That's not fair. We are, my wife and I are theologians, so we respond theologically. We said, where does it say life is fair? Fairness ended at the Garden of Eden. Some of you parents need to write that down. Fairness ended at the Garden of Eden. Otherwise, you will drive yourself crazy trying to make everything fair for your kids. This past week, I got my sons. I have two sons. I got my sons some hoverboards. Here, you want to have a wonderful week in your, in your house, buy your two kids two hoverboards and lose one of the chargers. <laughs> I'm just telling you, you're going to be pulling your hair out by the end of that week. It's not fair. And then they're always, and, and you know, we even did the same thing. We got them the same color hoverboard because you know that's another disaster. Don't get different color anything for your kids. Everybody gets the same color, same size, same everything. That's my charger. He stole my home. I mean, that was my week this week. And I said, life is unfair, but then we grow up. We don't even grow out of that because we're still listening to the clamoring of unfairness. Only there's a different word for it today. It's called inequality. Let me tell you something. You guys are getting indoctrinated by this stuff, and it's really hurting my heart as a pastor. Watch out for the equality mantras of our age. There is a shadow mission underneath all that nonsense. And equality today actually at root is that a heterosexual marriage is the same as a homosexual marriage and every family is equal. That's just not true. That's just not true. Watch out for the equality mantra of our age, friend. We've got to be careful. Life is not equal. And guess what? I got bad news for all the biblical scholars in the house. God's not even into equality. He's not. Jesus actually shared several parables of inequality. He said, to some he gave five talents, to some he gave three talents, to some he gave one talent. Say, like, hey, where's the equality? God says, I don't work like that. In another passage, he says, to, whom, to, to the one who has, even more will be given. But to the one who does not have, what he has will be taken from him. Hey, Jesus, where's the equality? That's not a biblical mantra. That's a worldly mantra. Be careful about this. You're very quiet. I can understand. I'm scratching you the wrong way. But sometimes <laughs> wisdom helps you know what's God's best instead of what seems good. Come on, somebody. <laughs> equality, equality. There's, there's no such thing. Should we work to make things equal? Yeah, we should. But it's never going to fully happen. And so Solomon says this. He says life's unfair. In verse 11 of chapter 9, I saw that under the sun the race is not always to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to all. Somebody say time and chance. Time and chance. Some people are just lucky. 
Some people are just unlucky. That's the reality. This is life. Equality is impossible. I was thinking about the fact that there's this YouTube channel. You know we're on YouTube. We get about, you know, 200, 300 views of our YouTubes, right? You want to talk about unfair. Okay. I went on to YouTube the other day. I saw this article. I think it was in BuzzFeed. This article about this new YouTube channel. It's called Man Eats Food. It's a YouTube channel called Man Eats Food. It's this English teacher, high school English teacher, and he sits in the front of the camera with no design, hardly any effort, and he just eats food for 15 seconds. The channel's got 36,000 subscribers. The guy's not even attractive. He's like overweight. He's got a nasty, not even a nice beard, just, a, just an item, I'm not trying kind of beard. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather just not shave kind of beard, not this kind of beard, not this, no, like a, I don't care beard. That, and he's just sitting there and he's eating yogurt and it's got like 1,500 views. And I'm watching this and after three hours on this channel, I'm saying to myself, Some of you missed that. You just watch it later. You don't understand. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about? I'm like, are you kidding me? People watching fat English teacher eat yogurt is getting more views than biblical wisdom. Don't get me started. Life is unfair. Uh, and then I thought about, you know, time of chance, you know, Bill Gates. We make a lot about Bill Gates, but you got to read a book. It's called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And in chapter two, he talks about how many people just happen to be at the right place at the right time, Bill Gates being one of them. You know, when Bill Gates was an eighth grade student, his mother was part of the, uh, part of the, the mom's group that every year would do a bake sale and then buy something for the class. And the year that he happened to be in eighth grade of this particular high school, they did, a bake, they did a bake sale that just happened to be one of the most successful in their history. And they bought the eighth grade students a computer in 1965. A computer was bought because a bake sale went well. He fell in love with computing, but so did everybody else in the class. He wasn't the only one. And then it just so happened that his high school was across the street from the University of Washington that had one of the only uh, next-level computers in the entire academic world. It just so happened to be there. And so he would spend his mornings from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. going to that school, sneaking in. He programmed the computer so that he, he didn't have to pay the, the price to rent the computer time, of course, because he's Bill Gates. But nonetheless... Just so happened to be there at the right time. And then just so happened to have a friend two years ahead of him in school named Paul Allen. Time and chance. Time. Sometimes we're envying people because they're living the life we want. But we don't realize that that's just a matter of luck in some cases. And so this is the reality. Unpredictable, unjust, unfair. What are we going to do? We're going to freak out? What are we going to do? Blame God? Blame others? Call for socialism? What are we going to do when all these things are the reality of our day? I thank God that Solomon doesn't live there in the realities, of, hard realities of life and say, well, guys, uh, life stinks. God bless. No, no, no. He walks us through some answers to the unpleasant realities. So here's the answers. How to face unpleasant realities. Number one, live under the sovereignty of God. God is in control. Everybody say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. God is in control. He's in control. 
So I love what Solomon says. He says, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. In other words, some people are going to get away with evil. You're going to get so mad about this. And it's going to happen on occasion. Yet I know. What do you know? What do you know? Yet I know that it will be well with those who what? Who fear God. Underline fear God. It's not being afraid of God. It's not running away from God. It means to honor God as the greatest being, the greatest one. And then notice what he says. He doesn't just say those who fear God. <coughs> it will be well with those who fear God because, because they do something. They fear before him. What is he talking about? He's talking about worship. He's talking about there are people that need to understand. There are people that, that handle the, unre, the unjust, unfair, unpredictable realities of life. They handle those things well. Do you know why? Because God is not just the highest being in their world and in their opinion, but they spend time worshiping him for it. Fearing before him. He gets my fear, my reverence, my worship. What gets yours? What's number one in your life? Do you, know, do you know what you fear the most? Whatever controls you. For some of you, it's finances, and so you can't tithe because money is God. Money leads you. Money is the thing that makes every decision in your life. Money is what you think about when you're on your way to work and when you think about on the way to home. Money is wrecking your marriage right now. Money is making you a terrible parent right now. Money is hurting your relationships right now because you fear not having enough. And you have made money God. You fear money. For some of you, it's people's opinions. You fear letting your parents down. You fear letting your sister down. You fear letting your friends down. You're letting people who really aren't even involved in your life, not really vested, interested in your life, and I'm talking about friends or acquaintances or coworkers, uh, you're letting them call the shots with who you're going to be. I thank God for what God is doing in Kanye West. He's saying some things that Christians need to hear. Like, the world, we're worried about what the world's going to think. I think he's going to upset more Christians than non-Christians at the end of the day. Because God has really changed this dude's heart. And he's talking about slave mentality. Don't tell me who to vote for. Don't tell me how to dress. Don't tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. That's just slave mentality. I'm listening to him saying, thank you, Jesus. Amen. I thought, like, two years ago, if you would have told me in two years you're going to be saying amen to something Kanye says. But it's 2019, and here we are. He's saying the truth. Watch out who you let dictate the person that you become. Fear God. He made you. Fear God. He loves you. Fear God. He wants you to know him. He sent Jesus, his son, to die for you. He stamped it in human history. The cross stands, A.D., B.C., to tell you that you matter to the heavenly Father. Fear that. Honor that. God, you get first place in my life. And I want to do, and so he says, this is, it's going to go well for people who live under the sovereignty of God. Many of God's best soldiers in history faced unfair, unpredictable, unjust circumstances. Moses 
was called to face down the strongest military in the world of the day, Pharaoh. And God said, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and here's what you're going to go with, a shepherd's staff. <laughs> shepherd's staff versus countless chariots. That's unfair and unjust and unpredictable. I think of David, who delivers Israel from Goliath's threats. He defeats Israel's greatest enemy, and then all he gets for it is chased out of town by his father-in-law, who happens to be the king and is jealous of David's gifting. Unfair, unjust, unpredictable. I think about ladies in the Bible, Ruth. All she did was marry an Israelite. That's all she did. Just married a guy. His father died, and then he died, and she was left homeless and purposeless and hopeless, unfair, unpredictable, unjust. I think about Esther, this beautiful Jewish girl in captivity to a foreign world. Imagine, it's like her, a Christian being taken captive by ISIS and then being paraded in this beauty pageant to be the wife of the head of ISIS. That was her reality. That was what she lived through. She didn't do anything to get that. She didn't do something wrong. That was, who, that was what life dealt her. Unfair, unpredictable, unjust. And these are the people that we talk about 2,500 years later and herald them as heroes of faith. Why? Because when life was unfair and unpredictable and unjust, they bore down deeply in faith in the God who made them and loved them. And they believed that there was still something he was going to work out in the end. And it did. It worked out. Fear God. Ecclesiastes 9.1 says, The righteous and the wise have and their deeds are in the hand of God. God, you're in control. Proverbs 16.9 says this. It says, People make plans in their minds, but the Lord decides what they will do. You say, I'm making plans. I'm going to retire at 55. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to get married. I'm going to do that. Okay, wait. Have you ever pressed the pause button on your plans to just say this simple prayer, Father, if it's your will? That's what James says. He says, hey, you rich who say today or tomorrow, we will do this, we will do that, we will buy business and do this and that. He says, you don't even know what tomorrow brings. Rather, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this. That's, that's saying, God, you're in charge, not mine. Plans are not wrong. Make plans. But then submit them to God's hands. That rhymed. That should be tweeted right there. Make your plans. Submit them to God's hands. Hashtag Waters Church at Tim Hatch Live. Hashtag best preaching in the world. Hashtag. <coughs> um, Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God's purpose will stand. You're in charge. Okay, so get under the sovereignty of God. Number two, maintain, this is another unword, an undeserving attitude. What do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean, don't get into this entitlement mentality of our age. I deserve Where's mine? What a, what a worldly mantra. What an ungrateful mantra. And you are programmed, every single commercial programs you to feel like you deserve. Every single social media post programs you. Why is not happening to them and not to me? Envy, 
bitterness, jealousy, these things will corrupt your heart. These things will shape the person you become. And so the answer to that is maintain an undeserving attitude. What do I mean? I mean this. Look at everything in your life and say, God, I didn't deserve that. It's a gift from you. Some of you need to look at the spouse that you have and say, I didn't deserve this person. Some of you are like, well, I do say that all the time. They really bug me. No, not that way. In a positive way. You look at your children. You got healthy kids, man. You're blessed. If your kids are healthy and alive, Cheryl and I go back and forth about that one. Sometimes she's the one saying, Tim, they're healthy and alive. And I, and I put my bat down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just joking. Don't tweet that out. Sometimes I go to her and say, Cheryl, they're healthy and alive. We're keeping each other accountable. Be grateful. Maintain an undeserved. God, thank you for this job. God, thank you for the clothes on my back. Undeserved. I didn't deserve it. Every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes down from the Father of lights. He's good to you. So Solomon also guards, guides us through some choices that we should make when we're maintaining this undeserving attitude. A, choose joy, uh, joyful ventures in your life. And I, I love this because he's walking us through all the unpleasant realities in, in Ecclesiastes 8 and 9. And then he says, okay, don't let the, all the unpleasantness of life be what dominates your life. So how do I not let that happen? Okay, sometimes you have to put the news sources down and pick up something that's just fun and enjoyable. Look what he says in verse 15. So I recommend, I love this verse, I recommend what? Yeah, have fun. Because there's nothing better for people in the world than to eat, drink, enjoy life. Do you have something that you're doing that you enjoy? That way people will experience some happiness along the way with all the hard work that gives them under the sun. What are you doing that says time out from all the unbearable realities of our unfair, unjust, unpredictable world? I got this Apple Watch. You know, I, I like the Apple Watch, but it's a blessing and a curse because it also sends me little dings of what's happening in the world. I get news notifications. I got to turn it off. I have, I'm just too lazy. <laughs> And I get so mad because I have a good day and suddenly, ding, oh, some woman just drowned her child. Ding, oh, there's an earthquake in China. Ding, oh, uh, these two parents just suffocated to death and left their children orphans. Like that was this week. Like this morning was ding, a woman shot her three children then shot herself in Texas. Like ding, like enough dings. You got to disable the dings. Put it down. You don't need to know everything that's going on in the world. That's what Solomon is saying. Get yourself some hobbies. It doesn't sound very spiritual, but this is what wisdom does. It grounds us in reality, not fantasy. Get yourself some time where you say, time out, I'm just going to have fun. Get yourself a golf game. I just picked up tennis. I'm incredible. <laughs> Any dudes want to play tennis, hit me up. But you better be good. What scrubs playing me? <laughs> I just joined a tennis league. It's fun. It, gets, it tells my life, stop. I don't need to worry about all that stuff right now. You need to do some pottery or you need to learn an instrument or something. Just have fun. And, and <clears throat> this is why uh, Paul will tell us in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always. 
Some of you don't rejoice ever because you don't create places to rejoice. Create happy spaces. You can do that. You're Americans, for heaven's sakes. This is not communist China. This is not North Korea. Some Christians walk around like they're in North Korea. Oh, my life sucks. Everything's worthless. Oh, I hate life. What is wrong with you? Pick up your eyes. Look to the hills. From whence comes your help? God is for you. Who could be against you? You live in the best country the world has ever seen. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you, he says in 1 Thessalonians 5. Solomon says it's better to be a dead living dog than a dead lion. And Ecclesiastes, what's up with that? He's like, he says basically, even if you have life, you're, you're blessed. Because dogs in the ancient world are not like dogs in today's world where we worship them, basically. Dogs in the ancient world were scavengers. They ate trash. They ate cadavers. They, they were awful animals in the ancient world. He says, listen, but, and, and lions were noble, noble creatures. And so he says, wait a second. You can have all the nobility, and if you're dead, it's worthless. Like even if you're a living dog, Look at your life. In other words, find reasons to take joy in what's going on in your life. Let her be. Choose to enjoy your loved ones. Take time with those who matter to you. Remember, this is the guy that chased work, chased accomplishment, chased the accolades and achievement. And here now he says, here's the now what, guys. Because I climbed the ladder. I got to the top of my profession. But I'm going to tell you something. The loved ones in your life are what really matter. Family. He says, listen, enjoy life, Ecclesiastes 9, 9, with the wife whom you love all the days of your... Now, when he says this, I know some of you are women, so he's saying, enjoy your loved ones. Enjoy... You say, I'm not married. Enjoy your friends, real friends. Enjoy your brother or sister. Or, you know, you got to have someone that you can just enjoy life with. Do this intentionally. Uh, and then he says, because it, that's your portion. Like, this is what God has given you. Say, I don't like the ones God gave me. <laughs> you got to start spending time with them. You do. You know that it is a scientific fact that the people that you spend the most time with are the ones that you end up loving the most. It's a scientific fact. This is why the Industrial Revolution was one of the worst things that happened to the American family, because instead of dad spending all day in the fields with his sons, he went to a workplace out, out in the city. Then he travels 45 minutes out of the city back to his home. But he spent the majority of his time with strangers. And then they let women go into the workplace. And I'm not saying it's bad, but women now are in the workplace. And so this is what happens. The man now spends 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day with another woman and then goes home exhausted to the woman that he should be loving. Or vice versa, the woman goes home to the man. You see what I'm saying? Be careful about this, because in the quest for the good life, we could destroy what's good in our life. Watch out for this. Ecclesiastes uh, 9, uh, 10, last one, letter C, enjoy your work. Enjoy my work. Yeah, you could enjoy it. Because Solomon, I love this. He's like, I'm not concerned with what you're doing. Whatever you do, do well. Some of you hate your job because you put the least amount of effort into your job. You don't get anywhere because you mail it in, and then you wonder why you don't get what you think you deserve. You don't deserve better, honestly. 
When I graduated college, I had to get a secular job. And I remember I was working this job. I wanted this other position. And I actually was complaining to all my coworkers. Here I am, the Bible college graduate, complaining to my secular coworkers about what I thought I deserved. I sat down with the boss. I'll never forget. She said to me, you know why you don't got that job? Because you don't do this job well. I said, excuse me, I am a Bible college scholar. I am an austere religious scholar, ma'am. It was a wake-up call. Sometimes you need a wake-up call in your life. So guess what I did? I took her advice. I did the very best I could do. I got the position. Do well with what you've got. I think about Joseph, who was given every job he didn't want, and he did it well. And it went well for him in that job. These stories are for us to make the best out of our lives. Choose to do what you do well. Um, Selena Gomez was at a Hillsong Church conference a couple of years ago. She's also gotten radically saved. I love what God is doing in the celebrity world. She, write, she was standing before the audience, weeping, reading a letter that she wrote to her younger self, and here's what she writes. She said, young Selena, being your very best for people will start to feel like your purpose, and it'll feel intoxicating, but you will be picked apart continually, and you will feel like you have lost everything. You already have faith, but you have no idea what you have faith in. You are already being pursued by God who knit you together and called you his. You don't know this, but it will become the most important relationship in your life. Just wait. You will learn that your truest identity is loved and chosen as a chosen daughter of God. In eight years, you will be sitting in a church service, and everything in your life will shift. The God that has been pursuing you all along will feel tangible. The Holy Spirit will speak louder than anything that has called your attention thus far. You are enough, young Selena, not because you've been given a large platform or others tell you you are enough or celebrate you. You are enough because you are a child of God who has been pursued by him from the very beginning. You are enough because his grace saved you and covered you. What a beautiful, what a beautiful letter. In other words, you chase all these things, but if you don't know what God has done for you, you'd be miserable. See, the gospel of Jesus makes us grateful. The gospel of Jesus reminds us that we didn't deserve, undeserved favor is what we get in Jesus. This is why some of the worst sinners can become Christians. To remind us, it has nothing to do with what you did. It is unmerited favor. And God is good. There's a, parable in, there's a parable in the Gospels where Jesus talks about this farmer went out to hire laborers and he hired some in the 8 a.m. hour and some at the 9 a.m. hour. And then he went out later and he said some at the 4 p.m. hour and then some at the 5 p.m. hour. And wouldn't you know that the people hired at the 8 a.m. hour thought that they deserved more than the people hired at the 4 p.m. hour. And by the world standards, sure, that makes sense. But God says, no, I'm giving this away for free. None of you deserved anything. It's grace. It's favor. And I'll tell you something, an undeserved attitude is, is the secret to joy in unpleasant realities. Letter Number three, finally, remember the unseen victory of Jesus. <coughs> so Solomon in verse 13 says, I saw something that seemed very great to me. Now the word great in verse 13 is gadol in Hebrew. It means it's superlatively great. Like it is astonishing. So great almost doesn't do the word justice. Well, what was so astonishing? Look what he says. There was a little city, verse 14, with a few men, and a great king came against it, besieged it, with great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. 
Okay, Solomon is tying it all together. Watch this. He puts a bow on it at the end of chapter 9. He says, this city experienced an unpredictable attack and faced unfair, unfair matchup against this great king and was about to experience injustice of the highest regard. But there was a poor man who in his wisdom delivered the city. Now, on this side of the cross, we have to see what Solomon is seeing. He's seeing, he's seeing a, a, a foretelling of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus is that poor man. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that he became poor for our sake so that by his poverty we might become rich. And Jesus faced injustice on the cross, though he committed no sin, the Bible says. Though he had done nothing wrong, he was counted amongst the transgressors. He was put to death even though he was the author of life. He experienced injustice. He experienced unfairness. The Bible says the Romans and the Jewish leaders conspired together. These people who hated each other conspired together to put Jesus on the cross. That's unfair. And yet all those things that he faced won the unseen victory over our souls. Colossians 2.15 says Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. In other words, all the unseen realities that are really conspiring against you are already defeated for you at the blood of Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's the reality of the unseen victory of Jesus. And then in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, verse 15, it says this. Look at, don't miss this. He by his wisdom delivered the city, yet what happened? No one remembered that poor man. You know what, you know what Solomon is saying? He's saying, listen, don't forget. Don't forget that the real victory has already been won for you. Don't forget that Jesus has already paid it all for you. Uh, he, he, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, Jesus knows what that's like because he faced unpredictable events, unfair circumstances, and took on the greatest injustice in human history. And he did that for you. Don't forget. Because if you forget that, you'll turn into one of these entitled, worldly-minded people that we see all over our culture. And we're not like that. We're children of the living God. And if he is for us, who can be against us? Last thing I want you to write down, a sermon in the sentence, if you will. When the outside of my life looks defeated, I must remember the victory of Christ for my eternity is completed. It's done. This past week, in all the celebrity news, there was a bit of celebrity news in the Christian world. Toby Mac, uh, who was once part of DC Talk and is now a solo Christian artist, came home to find his son, 21-year-old son, dead in his bed. Unexpected, unpredictable, unfair. So he got on Instagram and he talked about his relationship with his son. How his son had just performed his first live show. And he had texted him. He said, son, I'm so proud of you. You're going to be used by God. And his son texted back, thank you, dad. You make me feel like a superstar. And, then, and he's talking about his son. And then he writes these words, these cherished words. He says, my wife and I want the world to know that we don't follow God because we have some sort of under the table deal with him. Like, we'll follow you if you bless us. We follow God because we love him. God is the God of the hills and the valleys that's living under the sovereignty of God.